1: What are those people talking about? You got a deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. All right, let me invite you. for a number of reasons. Check out my Twitter account if you follow me on Twitter. It's at JeffWagner620. couple different postings, including some stuff we're going to talk about later on. Uh, the new poll numbers are not good for President Trump. That, that's just the reality. Now, I understand there's some people who say, well, the polls didn't see the support for President Trump in 2016, and the polls will be wrong now. Um, he's behind by double digits and, in most of the polls, and that's not good. George Will. Remember George Will, conservative columnist? He's out with... With an opinion piece in the Washington Post. Um, well, essentially, he says the nation is in a downward spiral and is being, quote, his words, not mine, administered by a gangster regime. We're we're going to talk about that and where the election stands right now. If you want to get a head start on that again, follow me on Twitter. It's at Wagner 620 I've got a link to um, that piece. I also, there's a funny piece in today's um wall street journal it's tongue-in-cheek but it's talking about now that we can't have the washington redskins it's it's all sorts of other sports teams names that need to be banned including like the trailblazers which of course i mean that 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 celebrates people like lewis and clark who you know ended up you know that they were the ones that helped colonize uh the west the 49ers they were people who participated in this gold rush, which, again, led to all sorts of things. The marlins, I mean, marlins are already an endangered species type of fish and, and a host of other teams. So if you want to see that, there's a piece in the Wall Street Journal that I thought was funny. And in addition, over the last couple of days, we've been singling out some callers who I've I've described as Wilburys, and and that's a good thing. You want to be a Wilbury. The Wilburys were, of course, the super group of, of musicians. And it really was a super group. Tom Petty, George Harrison, the former Beatle, the late Roy Orbison, um, Jeff Lynn from ELO, uh, uh, Bob Dylan. It was truly a super group. And the story always used to be, okay, are you, you know, are you, are you good? Or are you great? Are you good enough to be a Wilbury? There's a segment on the TV show uh, Billions from Showtime, which actually kind of explains the whole theory. And I've got a link to that. Um, interestingly, the TV show Billions, as far as a TV show goes, that's not a Wilbury. I mean... Breaking Bad was a Wilbury. The Sopranos was a Wilbury. Billions, not so much so. But anyhow, it's an interesting little clip, and it kind of explains what it's like and what it means to be a Wilbury. So if you want to follow me again on Twitter, it's at JeffWagner620. I've got a link to that, so check that all out. All right, let's get started. Um, COVID-19, coronavirus cases are, are spiking all over the country, and there's, there's lots of different reasons for that. I, I think you know. some people think we reopened too early. What I think's happened is you have, I think, largely some, some younger people, and you can find younger how you want, who, who think they're invulnerable, and they, they've just rushed back into bars. They, they've rushed into house parties. They've rushed into social settings, and they've ended up getting sick. Now, there, there are some exceptions to this, and I'll be the first to acknowledge that. But, for example, in Wisconsin, even though we've seen an increase in the number of COVID cases, we really haven't seen a dramatic increase in the number of deaths or hospitalizations. And I, I think that's because the people who are tending to get sick right now are, are disproportionately people like under the age of 30 who, when they get sick, they, they tend not to have as severe reactions and need hospitalizations or die. Now, of course, the the that doesn't mean that that's not going to happen. You could have that outlier. And of course, the concern is that you live in a multi-generational family. You're 23 years old. You go out to the wild party. You get exposed. You come back and then, you know, you're living with grandma and grandpa and you give it to them. So, I mean, it, it's, it's a deal. It's a concern. There, there's no question about it. But we're seeing this all across the, the country, um, including in Wisconsin. Including in a number of southern states and including in places like Illinois. So what people are trying to do is figure out how do we deal with this? The mayor of Chicago, who is a train wreck in so many different respects. If, if you, if, if there was anybody that could make you wish for the return of former Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel, it's the new mayor, Lori Lightfoot. In any event, now, now Chicago, has all sorts of problems that we'll get into in a minute, but the the mayor of Chicago has issued an emergency travel order, which essentially requires anyone traveling to anyone traveling to Chicago or returning from somewhere else to Chicago um, has to self isolate for 14 days upon their arrival and there are a number of states which are listed on on this on this list they are apparently seriously considering putting Wisconsin on the list in other words saying that you know, given what's going on, and we had, I think, Tuesday, there were 964 new cases, Wednesday, there were 821, um, so the mayor of Chicago is saying, well, what we're thinking of doing is, we are saying that if you travel from a variety of st- if you're coming to Chicago from a number of states, and now we're thinking of adding Wisconsin to that list, or you visit those states and then want to come back, you're going to have to quarantine for 14 days. In other words, we don't want you coming to Chicago from Wisconsin because we're afraid that you might bring COVID-19 to the fair city of Chicago. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate mortgage talk and text line. All right. If Chicago were to decide to put in an order like that, now it's difficult to figure out how you enforce something like this, especially in areas where you're you're traveling by car. So you've got a lot of Chicago executives who drive to Door County or own property in Lake Geneva or, you know, you fill, fill in the blank. So they're coming up here. They're going back and forth. Matter of fact, the governor of Chicago comes up to Wisconsin on a regular sort of basis. You see him hanging out in Lake Geneva all the time. But in any event, Chicago is thinking of putting in a travel quarantine and including Wisconsin on the list. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. If, if Chicago were to do that, How should Wisconsin respond? Should we respond in kind by saying, okay, fine, you want to come up here? All right, plan to stay for at least two weeks. 855-616-1620, that's the Iconet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And my answer is, heck yes, if Chicago really decides that's what they want to do, I think the only appropriate response would be to say, fine. This is going to be the mutual deal. We're going to quarantine you. So all you wealthy folks that are coming up here to you know, hang out, right? plan on staying for a couple weeks. And by the way, bring your wallets. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. A number of people are saying, how, how does this affect o- O'Hare? Which... Uh, it is in fact in this the city of chicago so um if if you want to fly out of o'hare and this order were put into place would you would you have to quarantine now my my guess is that's just not practical and it wouldn't apply to travelers it would just apply to people that were planning to you know stay in in illinois or at least in the city of chicago but but who knows I mean, who knows for sure exactly what that means? Um, people are saying, well, what about if I drive a truck and, and I want to come into Chicago? Um, well, that's the, the answer I, I think is, Is Yes, starting July 6th, Lightfoot ordered, that's the mayor, ordered people traveling into Chicago to spend 14 days quarantined if they were coming from spending more than 24 hours. And then there's a whole list of of states. Now, I I don't know if there's an exception for essential businesses, but at least in principle, let's say that you've got kids that live in Chicago, the Chicago area, and you live up here in Milwaukee and you want to go down and you want to visit the kids for the day. See the grandkids. Yes, her order, if it was an effect uh, for Wisconsin, would require you to quarantine for two weeks. Good luck with that. All right, let's start with Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ.
2: Hey, Jeff. For me, the people of Chicago have absolutely nothing to worry about because I've been successfully quarantining myself from their city for 19 glorious months. Uh, due to the crime, the prices, and the prevalent attitude, Um, and that's not going to change anytime
1: soon. Uh, Jeff, by the way, you are a Wilbury as well, as far as callers go. I went to recognize that when you called yesterday. You, sir, are a Wilbury as well, and that's a great point.
0: You just made my month.
1: (laughs) There you you go. Thanks for the call. Yeah, you are a Wilbury. Jeff is one of our regular callers as well. It's great. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's funny he was talking about crime because – I, I have in my hands the story we we've been talking about just the the level of, of out of control crime in the city of Chicago. okay, this is from uh well about four days ago headline five shot in Humboldt Park after argument physical fight, and another child fourteen was among twenty three people shot in Chicago overnight. Um. Let's see. Last weekend, here's the deal. 30, at least 30 others had been wounded from Thursday to Saturday. A total of 53 people shot since last Thursday. The number's increasing. <laughs> and, okay, so this does raise the question, why in God's green earth would anybody want to go to Chicago in the first place? But, you know, my, I guess part of my comment to the mayor would be, hey, hey, mayor, you know, before you start worrying about whether somebody from, I don't know, Oshkosh, wisconsin would need to be quarantined for two weeks if they want to visit their kids in downtown chicago maybe maybe you should try to get a hold of the fact that you've got children that are being shot on a regular basis in what is quickly becoming the murder capital of the united states dale in jamesville dale you on wtmj
3: hey thanks for taking my call ideal um just want to just want to let you know that i work for part-time for walmart If I cross the border of Wisconsin, whether it's in Minnesota, Michigan, Illinois, Iowa, I'm self-quarantined for 14 days. I have a son and daughter-in-law that live in Arizona, and we're not going to see them anytime soon because, again, even if I fly, i got to self-quarantine myself for 14 days. So, you know what? I have no problem with this. If they want to quarantine us, fine. But you know what? Illinois is a cesspool of COVID-19, and I don't want to be anywhere near Illinois, Arizona, Texas, Florida, or the Carolinas, for that matter. It's just, it's sad, but you got to do what you got
1: to do well I guess I mean thanks I mean, see I guess to me that, that that's kind of my point it, it's the idea of of these of these quarantines especially when you're talking about moving in, in interstate commerce Now, look I, I understand Hawaii which has an extremely restrictive quarantine policy if you haven't heard about this I mean if you're thinking about a vacationing in, in Hawaii don't Because, I mean, here's the rules right now, and I'm not making this up. You fly into Hawaii. So let's say you land, you're you're going to Waikiki. So you land at the main airport on Oahu. What happens is, as you get off the plane, you are greeted by authorities, health department authorities. They ask where you are staying. So let's say you're you're staying in a hotel. You say, okay, I'm staying at Hilton on Waikiki. They call the hotel to make sure that you have a reservation. When you go to the hotel and you check in, you are given a room key, but the room key is only good for one use. In other words, it gets you into the room. If you leave the room, you have to go down to the desk and explain where you went and, and justify that for them to give you another key. So you, they effectively force you to quarantine for that two weeks if you're visiting I'd say you've got relatives or friends. Again, it's the same thing. They take the number, and then they call to make sure that you are, in fact, staying there, and then you're expected to self-quarantine. Maybe you can make something like that work if you're if you're talking about an island. But I mean, seriously, and and, and this is this is where you really want to raise the question, too. I mean, seriously, is somebody that's traveling from Oshkosh or somebody that's traveling from Pleasant Prairie or somebody that is traveling from La Crosse or other areas in the state of Wisconsin that you don't have an explosion of COVID-19 cases? I mean, are, are they really? likely to put the good people of Chicago at risk? Or is that person actually much more likely to get hit by stray gunfire on the out-of-control streets of Chicago? I guess, I I just think this idea of of let's put up these retaliatory quarantines, especially when people are going back and forth for for business, doesn't make too much sense to me. But but if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. So, I mean, I would say, okay, fine. If they decide they want to slap that on us, eh, maybe that's how we should treat Illinois residents. Hey, we're come on up, stay in Door County, visit Lake Geneva, but we expect you to then stay here for a couple weeks, and we also expect you to self-quarantine. To me, this is just not practical. I mean, see, here, here's the bottom line. We're losing all common sense with dealing with this situation. Practice social distancing. Understand that. Don't travel if you don't feel good. Understand that. It makes complete sense to me. If you want to Think it's it's appropriate to put in an indoor mask requirement? Okay, I can even justify that, especially if it's an area where you, you've got a COVID nineteen outbreak. But this idea that well, if you have if you dare to drive to Chicago and you want to stay and you're coming um, again from Madison or from Oshkosh or wherever, we expect you to lock and shelter in place for two weeks. Give me a break. The simple answer is, if you're worried about that, just just avoid. The city of Chicago, just like I said this yesterday, if you don't like the mask mandates, for example, that they put in, in Milwaukee that I think are extreme, especially the outdoor stuff, it's real simple. If you have a choice, just don't go to the city of Milwaukee. And if, you, if the city of Milwaukee thinks it's that necessary to have that kind of an extreme mandate indoors and outdoors, okay, well, okay, maybe that's, that's just a further justification for telling people, you know, just, just stay away from Milwaukee. Stay away from Chicago for the, the time being until this passes. Just say it. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff
0: Wagner on WTMJ. A
1: number of people are texting me saying, hey, this Milwaukee mask mandate, Um, Somebody, for example, text, I've been driving around the city of Milwaukee all day, all morning, and I have not seen one person with a mask on. There have been people walking in and out of restaurants and stores in the third ward with no masks on whatsoever. I could be wrong, but I don't think the mask mandate goes into effect until one o'clock. I I think that's when it takes effect, Um, regardless how this ends up getting enforced. I, you know, up. I have no idea. Have no idea, but it's going to be a rule, a law, an ordinance that is in fact on the books. And can I kind of raise this question that if, if. If you don't want to do it, I agree with the mayor. You should just stay home or to the extent you can. If you don't want to comply and you think it's ridiculous that if you walk down the streets that you have to have a mask on in the outdoor context, it's it's fine. You have the choice. Just either stay at home or don't go into the city of Milwaukee. And again, you might raise this other question of if if it's so necessary there because it is a COVID hot uh, spot. All right. Maybe that's just another reason to say maybe we want to just kind of stay away for a little bit. Uh, Just food for thought. You're listening to
0: Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: You really do wonder what the end game of of this whole COVID pandemic is. And, And by that, I mean, okay, Professional baseball is going to try to resume its season at the end of the month. I, I hope I'm wrong. I, I really do. But, I mean, I, I think there's about a 30% chance that they're going to be able to finish the season. I, I think they're start going to start. But I, I think it, it's just inevitable that, especially with the travel between cities and things of the like, and, and again, don't ask me if, if Chicago, for example, imposes – Imposes a quarantine. Don't ask me how that that fits in. If you've got the Brewers, for example, traveling to Chicago, can't then they're going to stay there for a couple of days. They they can't very well. The team can't very well quarantine for two weeks. But I, I so again, I don't know how that all is all going to work. But it, it is just kind of the reality. So I, I'm I'm reluctant to see how baseball does it, as I have said repeatedly. And again, I hope I'm wrong. I, I don't see any way in the world that college football is going to play in the fall. I, I just I, I don't. You know, you've had some teams that have resumed practices and they've had to shut down because it's it's college students. okay? it's kids. And inevitably, you you can't lock them up in prison cells and you can encourage them to social distance and not go to parties and not interact with other people. But. They're kids. They're going to do what they're going to do, and inevitably somebody's going to get exposed, and they're going to come back into the locker room or the dorms wherever they're staying, and they're going to get other people sick. And, and even though the, the chances of bad outcomes aren't necessarily that great, you're still you're going to have the thing spread. So I don't see any way you're going to get a college football season. Basketball? well they 're trying to do it in in the bubble, maybe that 'll work maybe it won 't but again, you know if you 've got these pro athletes that decide they want to go and visit i don 't i don 't know visit downtown orlando what what are you going to do? How are you going to keep them locked up for a couple months and inevitably if somebody goes out there 's a chance that they 're going to get exposed and then they 're going to give it to everybody else so i 'm skeptical as to you know how all this stuff is going to work. But, but you've always thought that there's going to be an end game. And honestly, I don't know what the end game is. Um, and by that I mean that the announcement came out yesterday. The, the Rose Bowl Parade, the Rose Parade, which is one of the, one of the biggest, it's, I mean, it's held on every day for in, on New Year's Day. Um, it, it's been continuously running for the last 75 years. The last time it was suspended was during World War II. And together with, I'd say, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, maybe a couple others, it's just, I mean, it's a huge, huge event. If you haven't heard this, they announced yesterday that the 2021 Rose Parade, now keep in mind, we're, we're here, it's July. The Rose Parade is January 1st of 2021. It has been canceled. It's been canceled. Now, part of the reason for the cancel- a cancellation of it is that It takes a lot of preparatory time. And apparently, I guess I never realized this, but it makes sense. People start working on the floats that go into the parade. They start working on them in March. I mean, it's not something that you just kind of like throw together on a Saturday afternoon. People start working on them in March. And because of all the restrictions they've had in California, that that pretty much has been on hold. In addition, keep in mind there's high school marching bands that come from all over the country and given all this uncertainty in planning the high school bands couldn't make a commitment so there was all these issues that the organizers had and finally you know they so they're months behind in preparing the floats um it's difficult To deal with like some of the sponsors because the sponsors are trying to keep their heads above water, just keeping their businesses operating, much less say, okay, you're going to donate a quarter million dollars or whatever to the Rose Parade. In any event, you look at all this type of stuff and, and they just decided we can't get it done. Now, I'm not faulting the Rose Parade organizers for doing this, just like, you know, the folks at State Fair held on to the last minute, hoping that they'd be able to pull off a state fair. That didn't work. The folks down at Summerfest, you know, tried to do everything they could to have at least a modified version of Summerfest go on in early September. And then they realized that that just wasn't going to happen. And it's unfortunate. Um, here with the Rose Parade, Even in July of 2020, they recognized the reality that it's not going to happen for January 1st of 2021, which makes me wonder exactly what is going to be the end game, you know, here. Another note says New York City has canceled its traditional New Year's Eve Times Square celebration. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, all this type of stuff is going on. So already six months ahead of time, we're already recognizing that there is a new normal and it's going to be a long time before we get back to normal. It's unfortunate, not criticizing the organizers, but if you're used to and you look forward to watching the Rose Parade or maybe you were thinking that this is going to be the year I go, well, don't bother because it's not happening. Okay, when we come back, how much is enough? I will explain.
4: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs>
1: Drew, who's producing the show today, and always, I, I get I get distracted during these breaks because I see stuff that that just that just catches my attention. Now, you're uh, you're you're getting ready to make an honest woman of Mrs. Grew, and you guys are going to get married sometime soon, right? uh yeah, yeah. september twelfth we're just right. under two months away outstanding um are are you guys thinking of buying a house at any time in the near future uh no okay no <laughs> all right no. well I, I the reason I mention this is because if you were thinking about buying a house now now is the time to do it the the thirty year mortgage rate, which is the most the most common the most typical rate that people take out when they're they're buying homes um the thirty year mortgage rate. Two point nine eight percent. So that that's I mean assuming what does Brian Wickard say? You know, all the you know all the usual stuff. Now you might have to pay some points and stuff, but it's below three percent. Two point eight percent. That's the lowest level in almost fifty years. So two point eight percent. In contrast, the I I bought my first I purchased my first house. When, uh, let's see, it was, uh, 1988. So that's when, that's when we, we bought our, our, I've only, only I've really only lived in two houses. The house I had in for Bay for 30 years and then, you know, the condo I'm in now. Okay. So 2.98% is the 30 year mortgage. Okay. If you were to buy a house today in 1988, when I bought my house, the 30 year mortgage was like 10.5% like 10.5% and over 30 years the difference in payments between 3 per, 2.98 and 10.5% is just it's staggering it, it's it is incredible how cheap money is right now. Now there's, there's issues with like liquidity and I, I think, you know, getting this stuff processed and, and maybe they're, they're being tougher on who qualifies for stuff, but it, it is, it, it's just stunning. And, and like I say, I bet you that there's, there's people, that was mine in 1988. It was like 10.5%. And, a half percent. and it, you know, as a result, it just became unaffordable for a lot of people. We didn't take a thirty-year mortgage. I remember what we did was we took a um, we did one of these these five-year adjustable rates, and I forget what the percentage is. But we, you know, you were locked in for five years at at a rate much lower than ten percent, and the hope was that sometime, but in that five-year period, the the rates would go down and you could refinance. And we got lucky, and that's what happened. I I, I forget. I forget what we, you know, ended up refinancing for, but it was just staggering because I mean, ten percent for a thirty-year mortgage. Wow, I mean, it's, it would just it made it unaffordable for just a lot of people to take out, you know, loans to buy houses at a ten percent at interest rate. Now, again, we're facing all sorts of economic problems, but if you're thinking about buying a house, this is the time to do it, at least as far as cheap money goes, because low what a 50 or 60 year low so uh, that's that's one of the upsides about what's going on there's lots of bad sides as well including the fact if you're an investor you're you're getting very very little money you put money into a new cd nowadays and um, it's it's a little bit better than putting the money under your mattress, but it's really not that much because, you know, banks aren't paying interest or things like that. All right. Boy, two point nine, eight percent. Couldn't believe it. All right. Here is the deal um, in the wake. And we have talked about this before in the wake of the, the pandemic. Lots and lots of people lost their jobs, millions of Americans. And in an effort to try to help them out, the federal government stepped in, and the federal government issued stimulus checks to people, so you probably – you know, depending on your income, but a good number of people got checks, 1200 bucks a piece. So husbands and wives got uh, $2,400 put into your bank account or a check in your mailbox. In addition, if you lost your job, typically you qualify for unemployment through the state. The federal government imposed this program where on top of your unemployment benefits from the state, the federal government was sending you and is sending you an extra $600 a week. That program expires at the end of the month. In many cases, or at least in a lot of cases, that extra $600 means that people are making more being out of work than they would if they went back to work. And as a result, there's a huge disincentive for people to go look for jobs, or for many people to accept jobs if they get called back. Now, I understand technically if you refuse the job and your employer notifies the state, the state can pull the plug on that. But, you know, that, that's several, that is several steps. And I think employers are reluctant to do that. There is an ongoing discussion and there is a move in Congress to consider extending that $600 a week unemployment benefit through the end of the year. I think that would be a terrible idea, not because I am some cruel, heartless guy who wants to see people who've lost their jobs have to suffer, but because, and the Wall Street Journal makes this point today, what they estimate is that by by continuing that, you are going to slow down the recovery by, again, creating this disincentive for people to go back to work. And a lot of the people who are there now, like I say, they're making more not working than they are working. I don't think you can do that. Now, if you want to talk about, you know, supplementing unemployment benefits, OK, I'm, I'm willing to have that discussion. But in no way, shape or form do I think your compensation for being unemployed should be I, more than 50, 60 percent of, of what you made When you were working, you need to have an incentive for people to go back to work, don't you? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the academic mortgage talk and text line. Should we continue sending people six hundred dollars a week not work who are not working? And should we consider that consider doing that for an extra six months? My answer is is no. If you want to help some people out, okay, I I could see a supplement. But under no circumstances do I think that you should be able to make more money by staying off the employment rolls than you did by going back to work. And and candidly, I I don't think it should be even close to that. What do you think? 855-616-1620. We discuss. W277-CV and WTMJ-Milwaukee. From
0: the Annex Wealth Management Studio. this is News Radio WTMJ.
1: Here's what the Wall Street Journal says today in their editorial. The Congressional Budget Office recently found that extending the $600 a week benefit until January 31st, 2021 would mean that roughly, get this, five out of every six recipients would receive benefits that exceeded the weekly amounts they could expect to earn from work during those six months. In other words, five out of six recipients by the time you put together the state unemployment and add six hundred bucks, we'll be making more money by not working than working. That, that's just nuts. How can you get the economy restarted if you have a huge chunk of people that are being paid by the government uh, essentially not to go to work? Um, OK, let's uh, go um, Jeff, too many people are lying about not being able to work. I talked to a bar manager who um, I pick up regularly and works downtown. He said he can't give his bartenders or bar he can't get his bartenders or barbacks to come back to work because they want to go on unemployment where they get that extra sixty bucks, six hundred bucks. Of of course, um, that's it. Jeff, it takes three weeks to start to form a habit. We are conditioning lower wage workers to just go on the dole and maybe stay there for ever kick back and listen to WTMJ. Well, I welcome people listening to us, but if you got to work during the day, you can check me out on podcasts. Jeff, it's called unemployment for a reason. You shouldn't be making a working wage while you sit at home and have the option to go back to work. Jeff, I agree with you 100%. Never mind the increase in our national debt that all this is causing. Sooner or later, we will have to pay for all this. Uh, Jeff, there are companies in Ozaki County that put their employees on 32 hours so they could get the $600 as a bonus. They were not eligible for state benefits due to having too many hours worked, but the feds gave them all $600, no questions asked. Okay, then I, I have I have another text that kind of gives the, op, the different phrase. This is what somebody texted me. Jeff, my 8-year-old granddaughter's school is going to be virtual. My daughter can't go back to work and leave her home alone. Yes, they need the extra unemployment money. Okay, now let let me stop for for a second here. All right, this unemployment and unemployment insurance is not and has never been intended as another justification and a creation of, of a state welfare program. And the the idea that, well, gee, you have somebody who's eligible to go back to work, who um, is healthy enough to go back to work, and who has... A job that they could find or could, you know, be willing to do, but they're not going to go back to work because it's inconvenient because their their eight year old daughter is, is going to be doing virtual learning. That's not what unemployment insurance is all about. I, I'm sorry, and the federal government should not be subsidizing that sort of of thing. Now, maybe that means grandma's got to run, got to look after the daughter. Or don't don't know what what the things are, and I understand that. The fact that apparently some schools are going to be doing virtual learning has put some parents in a bind. But I'm sorry, $600 extra a week so people can stay home and watch their kids. That's not what unemployment insurance was was all about. Um, You know, there are people out there that think that this is kind of a political ploy because as if people don't want to go back to work and look for jobs, the unemployment numbers are going to continue to be high if we've disincentivized employment. And then when people vote in November, you know, you vote the economy. And if you say, hey, look, look, you've got unemployment around 10 percent. Uh, but if a lot of it's just because people simply aren't looking for jobs. That's something that maybe you hold against the current administration. I, I don't know if it's all that Machiavellian. I do know, though, that you can't. You absolutely can't create a system where people can stay home and get paid more for being at home than they are if they're able to work and if there is a job available for them. You just can't have a system like that. And that's where we are now. Now, like I say, if you want to fashion something where, all right, you could get a percentage of your income and maybe there's an extra supplement, I, I Okay, maybe I could live with that if, in fact, the jobs are gone. But what does this say for all the essential workers, everybody out there who showed up day after day, especially at some of the lower wage jobs, the people showing up at the grocery stores and working as stock stockers or working the the checkout aisles or the people that are driving the trucks or unloading the trucks? What does it say to all those people who have worked? at lower, comparatively lower wages during this whole pandemic as essential workers haven't been laid off. And you see people who are making maybe more money than you made and they're not working. It's just not a fair system, period. Live from
0: the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is The Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Just a couple... Quick, I've been swamped with texts from our discussion of do you continue the the, the six hundred dollar payment? And I, my answer is you just can't it, unless you want to guarantee that you're going to suppress the economy. You you just can't continue to send out six hundred dollar week checks because we have created a disincentive for people to go back to work. Um, here's a text, Jeff. I work for an employment agency. Prior to COVID, getting someone to take a job at twelve dollars an hour was difficult. Now getting someone to take a job at fifteen. $15 an hour is difficult. This $600 of extra money is an incentive not to work. Um Yeah. Jeff, $600. here's another one. Jeff, $600 equates to $15 per hour. In addition, people are also getting their Wisconsin unemployment that they're entitled to. I'd stay home. Well, I, sure. I mean, I, I understand that particularly if you're... And this doesn't apply to everybody. I, I understand there's people who lost their jobs who are desperate to want to get back to work. But I mean, the reality is, if, if you're, if you're in an industry or you're doing a job that you're not that excited about. Okay. I love what I do. It is a blessing. I love that they pay me to do what I do. But not everybody is like that. So if you're in a job that you, uh, don't like, And, you know, it's even close. I mean, if the difference is an extra hundred bucks a week, let's say that even with all these different benefits, you you don't make more than than you made sitting at home still. But if it's something you don't necessarily like to do, okay, you know, you're you're willing to give up that extra hundred dollars to not have to work and be able to stay home and listen to the radio and watch TV and go out and bicycle ride or, or all those things. It's just this weird thing that we have set up. And if we're going to try to get the economy back to work and people back to work, what we have to do is do away with disincentives for not having to work. There, you know, there, there is a parallel. I've been doing this long enough to remember the parallel. Back in, well, the, the last major recession that we had, like 2007, 2008, 2009, Unemployment benefits are typically six months. That that's how, because they're supposed to be a transitory thing. The general thinking is unemployment benefits are there to kind of tide you over between jobs. They they're not they're, they're not a hammock that you re- recline in for the rest of your life. Well, what happened in 2007, 2008, 2009, you will recall, is that uh, the economy cratered and and there just were not jobs. So what happened is states started increasing that amount of time that you could collect unemployment and so it went from six months to depending on what the state was to a year to a year and a half etc and you know what they found what they found was that after the unemployment benefits started to get ready to expire that's when people, that's when the job, people started going back to work. In other words, and I'm I'm not even calling them malingerers. That was the term some people used. That's not my term, but they just kind of made the decision that, hey, as long as I can make, as much or almost as much money by by staying home and watching TV. Why would I go back to work, particularly if you're going back to work in a job that you don't particularly in- enjoy or a job that's hard to do, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. And then once the unemployment benefits went away, miraculously, lots of people decided, "Well, I, I better go back to work." I, we're we're going to be in a situation like that if we don't again, do away with disincentives for not having to work. Okay, I want to completely and totally switch gears. I seriously wonder whether some of the things that we are doing to combat the spread of coronavirus make sense. And and I've been arguing since the beginning that what we need to do is we need to tailor our response to, to what the problem is. For example... I thought it was an overreaction to shut down all the businesses in the state, except for essential businesses. I continue to believe that that was correct. To me, the question should have been, all right, it is by allowing this business to stay open, are we substantially contributing to the spread of COVID-19? By allowing that dog groomer who comes into contact with almost nobody or a handful of people during the day, by allowing her to stay in business, uh, okay, did that really lead, would that have really led to the spread of COVID-19? And of course, the answer is no. Would allowing that small jewelry store that maybe has 10 or 15 customers a day coming through it, would that have led to the spread of COVID-19? Uh no especially when you you can have hundreds of people pouring into a Walmart or a Costco or whatever. I I also think it makes sense to look at stuff on a regional basis. A statewide order never made any sense to me because you had areas, you had pockets, like the city of Milwaukee, for example, that, that have been... COVID hotbeds since the beginning, you've had other areas that have been not unaffected, but certainly not been affected to that extent. And so this one size fits all approach never made any sense to me. In that same vein, since we have quote unquote reopened and we've seen these spikes, what do we know about the spikes? Well, number one, we know it, it's, it's younger people. As driving driving the numbers, people that are are going out, people that are not not just going out to bars and restaurants, but people that are going to to the parties that are socializing. It, it's the you know the, the frat house sort of mentality, and, and they're getting sick. And at some point in time, I mean, the biggest worry is not just that they've gotten sick, but that they're going to bring it home to their parents or their grandparents. Um, that's why, for example, last week you had the health officials in the city of Milwaukee who were saying. That, that being exposed to people, and I'm, I'm quoting now, outside your household is not safe. This, uh, Ben Watson, who's the director of emergency services for Milwaukee County, um, he, he said, well, having friends over in your house for dinner, it's just not something that's safe right now. Okay? The, the city health director, she says, It's the point of being exposed to people outside of your household that is the concern because you can quickly be exposed and then everyone in your household can possibly be compromised. Okay, so they're saying that there's a danger to being exposed to people outside your household. Now, there's always going to be some of that because, you know, you have to go to work and do things like that. But one of the areas that they trace the spread of COVID-19 to, they say it's not the protests because that was outside, you know, that, so even though we're going to make you wear masks now, they're, you know, but that's okay, we're going to do that, we're going to have those outside rules. One of the areas that I think pretty much everybody agrees has led to the spike, particularly among younger people, is bars. You have people who are going back to the bars, they're socializing, in many cases they're inside So you've got that going on. They're inside for long periods of time. You can't You can't drink with a mask on. I mean, that's, that's just kind of the reality. It's sort of like the restaurants. You can wear your mask till you get to the table, but then once you get to the table, you gotta take that mask down. For bars, it's the same thing. When you're sitting in those bars, you know, you, you have to have the mask down. So to the extent that the masks stop it, well, you, you got your mask down. That's just the reality because you can't drink while you're in the, while you're in the bars. All right. We're talking about all these different rules, but the city of Milwaukee thus far, has, even though they're telling you, and I'm quoting now, that it's, um, you know, that you that it's not safe to be exposed to people outside of your household, and that having friends over in your house for dinner is just not something that's safe to do, they're still allowing people to go to bars. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line. Does this make any sense? I mean, if we're going to try to tailor responses to figuring out what can we do to stop the spread of COVID-19, does it make sense to say we're still going to allow bars to be open? Because the reality is you're going to be in there. You're not going to be wearing a mask while you're drinking in bars. I mean, is is this something that we should consider doing? Now, my answer is is no, but... I hear from a lot of people all the time who essentially think that we've been just irresponsible in general, um We need to have masks everywhere, inside, outside, walking your dog pretty much by yourself at 2 o'clock in the morning. Well, my question is then, does it make sense to allow bars to continue to be open? Because you know what's going to happen is people are going to be in there. Um You can try to practice social distancing, but again, good luck with that. There's alcohol involved. Chances are you're going to be around for hours. And by the way, if you look at some of the outbreaks that we've seen, it, it clearly, across the country at least, is traced to to cocktail lounges and bars. Well, all right, should the mayor be closing those? And if not, why not? 855-616-1620. That's the Acinet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It is interesting that you've got the Milwaukee Health Department in particular saying, Alright, we, you, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be socializing. You shouldn't be interacting to the extent possible with, with people outside your household. Um, uh, having friends over to your house for dinner is not something that's safe to do right now. But, but yet we're, we're not closing down the bars. And I, I'm not arguing for it, but I'm arguing, does that make any sense? I, I mean, if, if we're telling people don't socialize and yet we're, we're leaving the, the bars open where you're not going to be wearing your masks, I mean, is, should, should we consider doing that? Now, again, my, my answer is, is no. I think that we can perhaps put some more limits on, on the bars to spread people out. But, but this all goes back to my basic theory that, you know, I, I think we're going to have to figure out how to live with coronavirus for the foreseeable future, because I don't think it's practical to close bars. But if you're telling people don't have folks over for dinner, should we? Sh- why are we letting people go to bars? Let's talk to Rain in Greenfield. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
4: Hey, thanks Hi. for having me. Sure. Yeah, I, think, I just think like uh, restaurants in particular, like small music venues, I'm a musician. Like right. we're kind of left behind and all this. And if you close bars, unfortunately, you're saying goodbye to a lot of livelihoods yep. right there who maybe just started to open or whatever. I like the outside seating, the patio stuff. Um, that makes sense, yeah. but it's, I think there just needs to be a lot more thought either by the CDC or the government and actual guidelines that we can follow, and as far as your point, it is completely like an oxymoron, <laughs>
1: you're yeah. correct. Right, that, you know, and, so, and, and the thing, you know, Raina, I mean, I love your idea, what you're talking about, about outdoors, and and I will say this, I, I go I go out a lot, but but it's, it's 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 been almost always, not exclusively, but almost always in those outdoor settings. We call, we find I, I have I don't think I've been to a bar. I can't remember the last time I've been into a bar. But we'll go out to dinner and we'll sit in the patio sort of thing in the outdoor area. But I mean, I seriously wonder what's going to happen. I mean, it, it's July, so you know you've got July, you've got August, you've got part of September. After that, it, it gets a little bit problematic around here, at least, to be outside.
4: Right. I mean, I think it's time for American innovation here instead of hard ons and hard offs. Like we need to put our brains together and think of how we can make this work for everyone.
1: Yeah. No, thanks. I see. I I I agree with you completely. You know, it's interesting. There's a couple of there's a couple of outdoor there's a couple of restaurants and and I, I haven't been back to them yet, but but friends have told me about it and what they've started to do is they've started to put up for example tents over their patios so they can they can it, it's the outdoor dining you've got the air that's coming in so that they can use them when it's raining so that um in the fall you're, you're going to be able to potentially extend the use by you know you, you bring in a couple of the, those heaters and all and, and maybe you can get an extra month out of the patio dining maybe maybe even more but this is kind of reality i was talking about this the, the other day I I, I know somebody who, who's in the, the medical industry, and they were they were telling me, and I discussed this in the program on Monday. They were telling me that one of the reasons that they believe that you're seeing th- this spike in some of the southern states, like Miami and and uh, Arizona and in Texas, it's not just the reopening, but it's the fact that in it's much more likely not a guarantee but it's much more likely that this virus spreads in inside areas as opposed to outside areas i think that's not controversial everybody agrees with that and in the in the south right now okay so what what is it like in in new york in february and march well what what do you have well it's cold people are inside in you know july in arizona it's 120 degrees in phoenix People, what's the common thing people are inside They're they're not inside. They're inside to, you know, get out of of the heat, not the cold. But, you know, they're inside in closed areas. Even young people that are going out, well, okay, even if you go out to a beach somewhere, you get hot, then you want to go into the air conditioning. And that leads to the spread of this as well. I just, I wonder how the, the businesses around here, the restaurants, the bars, are going to cope with this come fall. But if the premise is right that this is still going to be with us, they need to be thinking about that. Joe on the Northwest side. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
3: Yeah, I was uh, at a karaoke bar last night. And at the, the stroke of midnight, the, the owner had to get on the microphone and tell everybody the rules. The rule is, if you're not drinking, you have to have your mask on. So he's like, if you don't want to wear your mask, you have to have your hand on your drink. Otherwise, I'm going to have to make you put your mask on. And so he spent, the next, he, he spent the next two hours chasing around patrons Hey, hey! Hand on your drink. Hand on your drink. Oh my God! It is. It is so ludicrous and insane.
1: Okay, so I got I to get this straight. So the the see, like at a lot of the restaurants, it's okay. In the restaurants, you you wear your mask till you get to the table. Then you pull down the mask, and then then you eat. Then you put back the mask. You're saying you were in this bar, and the guy was saying that any time you weren't essentially actively drinking, you had to put up the mask. Pull up your mask.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he read he read the rule. He had the you know, he obviously he had the rule right from Tom Baird or whoever, the health department, and he read it for everybody. If you are not actively drinking, your if your mask must be on. So he's like as long as your hand is on your drink, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make right. you wear your mask.
1: Right. I, I... Oh my God, <laughs> John, I mean, I'm sitting there. Who's going? I mean, it's a practical matter. Who who's going to forget what I just said about even the discussion of whether you should close bars? That will close bars because who in their right mind is going to go and hey, hey, Joe, let you and I meet for a beer and I'll wear my mask and I'll pull it down when I take a sip and then I'm going to pull it back up again. That's that. They, they, I mean, they, that that is that that is ridiculous. Now I I understand. And again, I I understand that the purpose for the indoor mask rule, especially in coronavirus hot spots like the city of Milwaukee. But at the same time, you do wonder whether people who think of these things just have have no concept of practicality. It's like the Madison mask rule where they say that if you invite guests over to your house, your guests have to wear we pri- have to wear masks. So Melissa, you and your boyfriend come over to our house for dinner, but you know you're you're going to have to wear a mask in our house.
0: But how is that I mean, if, if you ask me I would. But it's not I mean, how would you right.
1: how would you of course it's the, how, right? right how, yeah. how, and how is it enforceable yeah. and and what, the, right, exactly. I guess my concern, um, the, the thinking is if I am concerned enough that somebody coming into my house might be spreading COVID 19, yes. no offense, but I'm not inviting you Don't and your boyfriend. Me. Right, yeah. uh, right. No
4: offense taken, yeah. Right, I but, would, but I if, would say. if I am
1: that worried mm-hmm. uh, about this, but again, it's these, you, you put in these rules and you wonder who drafts some of these things because they've got no conception of of reality. Um, And again, I I understand some of the the basic premises, particularly when it comes to like the inside mask rules, but in people's own personal homes, or like he was just saying, okay, you're you're going into a bar and you're supposed to pull the mask up and down every time you want to take a sip. That's just... I did. Did anybody who thought of that think that you know? Did anybody who thought of that ever go into a bar and and, and drink? So I, I just, I mean, I bring this up. Maybe, maybe if that's the concern, and if your concern is that things are that out of control, well, maybe what you need to do is consider an order closing the bars. If that's if, now, and if you're you're not going to do that, then I guess the question becomes why? But there there is this. You just wonder who thinks of of some of these different things, and like I say, okay, I, I've always thought about Madison. You, let's say you have a a guy who goes out and, and and meets some young lady, and they decide to go back to somebody's apartment. So the the visitor has to wear a mask. Hmm. How's that? How's that going <laughs> to work? A totally different visual image there. It, well, Jeff. it is. It, it's. I mean, how how yeah. is how is that going to work? Mm-hmm. Just asking. Back with more in a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Okay. So so Target has announced that they are going to impose in all their stores nationwide. They are going to impose a, a mask requirement. If you go to shop at Target, you got to wear a mask. Okay, um, that announcement came a day after Walmart and Kohl's announced that that they were going to I- impose a mask requirement. Okay, and, it, and I've argued. Um, I, I think it, it's appropriate for businesses to make that decision, and then you know people can have the decide make the decision as to whether they want to patronize the place or not. But they certainly have the right to do it. But the reason Target is doing this is that they apparently believe that in order to prevent the spread of coronavirus, this is an important step that, that they need to take. Okay, that that's all well and good. Here's what my question is about this. All right, today is July sixteenth. Target is announcing this mask policy is going to go into effect August 1st, essentially two and a half weeks. I mean, and I guess I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, okay, if if we've decided that this is something that is important to the safety of the general public. All right. I don't have that debate. All right. why, Why do you wait two and a half weeks? I mean, why do you wait until, you know, August 1st? Wait, why don't you roll it? Now, maybe it takes a day or two to, to gear up. For example, Walmart and Kohl's said that they were going to do it effective Monday. So they gave like, like four or five days notice. Target is saying a couple weeks. A couple of weeks now. I mean, they, they also say they're going to provide disposable masks at store entrances. So, I mean, maybe the argument is we, we need a couple of weeks to get these, the, these disposable masks. But I guess to me, that doesn't make any sense because obviously this would have been a decision that you would have thought you would have been considering. And again, I'm not criticizing them. They have every right to do it. I'm just thinking, okay, if, if this is such an important public safety thing that you got to do it, why would you wait a few weeks to do it? Even in the city of Milwaukee, Barrett signs the the very, very invasive and extensive mask ordinance inside and outside. He signs it Tuesday. It goes into effect. I think it's just gone into effect in the last 40 minutes or so. Oh, OK, but at least the idea is we believe this is important. We're putting it into effect now. Target's waiting a couple weeks? Hm. All right. If you think the world may be going crazy, I have... The absolute perfect, at least in my opinion, example of that. Now we, we all understand that nowadays we're we're very, very concerned with social justice issues. And we've got the Washington Redskins. They've got to change their name. They can't be the Redskins any longer. And you've got Confederate statues that are being torn down. And you've got people that think in Wauwatosa, for example, that you can't have elementary schools named after George Washington and Thomas Jefferson. And on Bascom Hill, you've got to take down the statue of Abraham Lincoln. We we. We, we understand that, you know, there, there's all that stuff that's going on and we need to be more socially conscious. I, I cannot make this story up. All right. Think of, think of your house. All right. I, I want you to have th- this image of your house. And let's say you live in a home that has, okay, Gru, I'm going to give you this quiz. All right. I know you're not a homeowner, but I, I, I don't think this is too tough. Uh, imagine you live in a home. And the home has three different bedrooms, all right? There are like the two bedrooms. uh, Okay, I'll I'll think about the the place I live now. Upstairs, there are two bedrooms. One is a bedroom that we use for guests. The other bedroom that we have is, is converted into my office. On the first floor, there is the large bedroom, where my wife and I sleep. Next to the large bedroom on the first floor, there is the largest bathroom in the home, which is connected to the large main bedroom. Okay? What is that bedroom on the first floor of my home or in anybody else's home, what is that bedroom called? Uh, They're typically called a a master bedroom, master bathroom. The master... All right. Take 10 bucks out of petty cash. That is why you are exactly right. It, it's, it is the master bedroom, right? When I say master bedroom to you, you think of exactly that. In, in your home, you think of, okay, this is the principal bedroom. It's probably the biggest bedroom. It's probably, you know, if you've got kids, it's where like mom and dad sleep. Okay. It is the master bedroom for the house, and the bathroom that's attached to it is the master bathroom. Well, maybe not for long. I I swear, I am not making this up. All right, Houston, Houston, Texas, the Houston Association of Realtors has dropped the word master from its listing. They have decided that um, this is necessary Because the word master has become unpopular, wait for it, due to its slavery connotation. And so they will no longer describe the master bedroom as the master bedroom. It will now be referred to as the primary bedroom. All right. Well, it doesn't stop with Houston. All right. Um, A number of other communities including Louisville and other places are now considering dropping the term master from their description. And rather than calling it, and in the case of some of these areas, master, the term will be banned and it will be referred to as the owner's suite. (laughs) So your master bedroom has now become the owner's suite. Because, as they describe, it is a more politically correct term of art. In today's Chicago Tribune, Chicago on its way to becoming the murder capital of the United States, Chicago... Where the mayor is imposing quarantines on people traveling from outside of Chicago. Like, okay, you know, you, why would you, why would you want to go to Chicago and take your life into your hands in the first place? But all right, if you come from Chicago from New York or from Indiana or from Michigan or maybe from Wisconsin, we're considering making you quarantine for coronavirus. By the way, you know, don't go anywhere near any windows because you might get struck by rampant gunfire. Chicago. I have the story from today's Chicago Tribune, real estate reckoning, removing master from listings is just one step in the fight for racial equity. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, look, I I understand that we have real social justice issues in this country. I I get it, and I think we have real things that we have to figure out how we deal with in connection with, uh, again, racial harmony. And I also understand that we have a long way to go. But I swear to God, I I mean, I, I cannot believe in all seriousness that we are having this discussion that we now need to ban the word master essentially from, I don't know, other aspects of the English language because, well, OK, follow me on this. Yes, in In when there was slavery, you had the slave and you had the slave master. I I understand that. But didn't you also have the slave owner? Should we no longer be able to use the term owner because there were slave owners? I think this is what's the word I'm thinking of? I think this is absolutely stupid. Yes, stupid. That's the word. And I think by obsessing on things like this, what we do is we trivialize some of the real issues that are out there. But let us discuss this. eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the academic Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it reasonable for anyone, anyone to be offended by the term master in this context. Like, hey, it's the master bathroom. It's the master bedroom. This is the master plan for the community. Fill in the blank. And by the way, if you're somebody who is legitimately offended by this and wants to make that case, Drew will put you at the top of the list. We're back to discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: Okay, well, I invited contrary opinions. Here's one of the texts I got. We're talking about, if you're just tuning in, the the phrase master bedroom, master bathroom is now being banned in several communities with regard to real estate because it is viewed as being politically incorrect and offensive because... When you go back to slavery, you had masters, so now you you can't refer to the master bedroom. All right, here's the the text. Of course you don't get it, because you're an old white guy. It's also demeaning to women. Okay, meaning, I guess, the implication is that people of color are offended by the term master bedroom, and women, demeaning to women, demeaning to women because it's a master bedroom. All right, let's start with Margie and Racine. Margie, good afternoon.
3: Good afternoon.
1: Okay, Margie. So first of all, give me, first yeah. of all, wait a second. Give, give me the female perspective. Do you find the term "master bedroom" to be demeaning to your gender? No, of course not.
2: Because I'm you're not the master crazy of my home, and most men realize women is the master of the home <laughs> anyway. So, and and I don't think that in any way that the context of "master" in 2020. is, is master versus slave in any way and i've been looking at real estate for a while and this has been an ongoing um suggestion and they've started uh modifying actually more than just recently and but the option is owner's suite and owner's you know on so what is the difference between master and owner well the right exactly me, because there we, is no difference it's the same context if you're offended by master you would be effect, offended by owner so I, I, either I, one is fine
1: it's well well exactly indicate. because there, there's no there, there is nobody in this this place we live the real world who could reasonably be offended by the term master bedroom? I mean, because it, it's, I don't know about you, but I don't live on a plantation. I mean, you know, most of us Correct. don't live on plantations. You know, the master bedroom is understood to be the primary bedroom. And thanks, Nicole. I appreciate it. Well, I'm, I'm glad I, I, I did, I did, I am curious about that female perspective because I, I we wouldn't want to offend, you know, women either. I, I, I see you hear this stuff, and, and you just don't even think about it, that there's actually people out there who think about these things and, and then want to act on them. Uh, Jeff, in computer hardware, you might have two drives installed. The primary one used to be called the master drive, and the secondary one was called the slave drive. When we went to more PC terms, um p- uh people initially had the same reaction as you do now about the bedroom names. Uh, they got over it. Well, I don't know. Will master craftsmen have new titles? Well, that that's right. You know, how about a master's degree? Can you get a master's degree now without having an association with slavery? How about everybody out there, the master plumbers or the master electricians? I mean, re- really, is is this what we need to do to advance our society's talk about racial justice? Does anybody seriously think, oh, he just said masters, it's the master bedroom, it's the master suite. Oh, my gosh, that means we're being offensive to one group or another. Jay in Whitefish Bay. Jay, you're on WTMJ. Hey,
4: Jeff, thanks for having me on. And you just hit the nail on the head with uh, the idea that racial justice is not furthered by actions such as these. I think that this is just another instance of people on the political left overplaying their hands, trying to look virtuous. Yep. It alienates independent voters. You know, I, I when I first saw the stories about the master bedroom matriculating on the Internet, I actually did some research into it because I, I thought it was such a ridiculous premise. And the first time that the term master bedroom was used was in a Sears home catalog in the 20th century. So it has no relationship with slavery whatsoever, not even some sort of explicit relationship like the uh, engineering, uh, you know, names. The, the previous texter was, called, was talking about.
1: Right, right, exactly. Somebody just texted me saying, well, it's not the term bedroom, it's the term master, to which I get it. I I understand that apparently in in 2020, you cannot use this word master because, well, gee, you know, you had slave masters in the, the 1600s or the early 1700s. Okay, that word has evolved way beyond slave masters, for goodness sakes.
3: I, yeah, exactly, and I think if you
4: if you look at the history of racial justice too, this is a, a cyclical occurrence where people kind of latch on to these meaningless. Yes. nomenclature or, or lexicon ideas where they just want to purge words from the vocabulary. And like you say, it does nothing to advance right. the cause of racial justice. And in fact, it's just alien, it's it just alienates independence.
1: Well, exactly. Th- thanks for calling, call, Jay. By the way, Jay, as a caller, you are a Wilbury as well, my friend. That's my compliment. Okay. <laughs> Take care. That that great. He makes just an absolutely great, great point there. It, it doesn't accomplish anything. And most reasonable people look at this and say, well, well, this is a word, and, and it's it's not a word that has offensive connotations to it at all. It is a word which is descriptive. Now, maybe, you know, when, when we use the term in conjunction with the discussion of slavery, we, we understand that to be a slave master was a bad thing. But it, it's also a word that has all sorts of meanings way beyond being a slave master. And it's a commonly used word that I think most if not all, reasonable people would find, okay, to be perfectly benign and, in fact, descriptive. And, you know, um, you know, wh- where do you end up drawing the line? What words are we now going to, you know, take out of society? Let's talk to Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're in WTMJ. Right. Uh, hi,
3: good afternoon, Jeff. Right. Uh,
5: my comment would be that, uh, if I find if I'm a realtor and I have uh, cash to buy any kind of property uh, to be listing a realtor, and they don't have a master bedroom in the house or a master bedroom. Do you think he'd find me one
1: that has one? Yeah, exactly. That's that's right. That's that's right. No, thanks Nicole. That's exactly what I want. Oh, wait a second. I, I what what is this owner suite? Well, I, I agree with Margie, our first caller. I mean, how can you, if you can't use the the phrase, you know, master bedroom? I don't understand how in the world you could use owner suite at, at all. I just don't see how you could say that. I mean, primary bedroom. Okay, what exactly is that? This is the primary bathroom? No, it's the, no, I, I don't, you say, well, our primary bathroom is there. I, I, I don't want my guests going into the primary bathroom. I want my guests going into the guest bathroom and using that type of stuff. Um, you know, it's just one of these things. Jeff, unfortunately, you use the word reasonable and people are just not reasonable anymore. Well, no, and it's gotten to be that point. See here, and this is the frustrating thing to me. It's, It's we get caught up and and I'm sure like in these different communities like Houston, I'm sure this was studied for a while. I'm sure they're studying in Chicago, you're actually spending time, spinning your wheels, spending time, energy, and spirit, deciding, oh my gosh, if we use the word master, might somebody be offended by that? And to which my response is, look, there are always going to be those people that wake up wanting you to knock that chip off the shoulder every morning, the perpetually offended and the politically correct. We don't have to give in to them about anything. And I don't know. When I'm looking for a house next time, I'm going to be looking to make sure that the master bedroom suite is nice. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is The Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: There a number of people texting me with different examples of the use of the word master, and I, I get it. I mean, it's just... Don't don't get too wrapped up in it. Your head will just explode. It's and it just ends up being a waste of spirit. But you know, a couple people were pointing out. Now th- this is antiquated. But when I was a kid, there especially for. Uh, especially for people for older people, back when I was a kid. So figure out what that means. Um, when, when they would address young people, like children, like like your grandmother would write you a letter or would address the letter, it it would be oftentimes addressed to Master Jeffrey Wagner. That was the term that was used to refer to children back in, in the day. Now, I don't think that that happens anymore, but it was just, it was the term that, you know, and then when you became 16 or 18 or whatever, you became a mister. That was sort of the difference. But, you know, it's, it's kind of like you watch movies sometimes and somebody will use the phrase, well, young master. And it, it's not meant to refer to, we, we think you're a slave owner. It's just, it's one of the 18 or 20 or 25 different uses of the phrase master that you find uh, described. All right, I, I want to, I, I want to switch gears. I I sent out matter of fact again, if you follow me on Twitter, it's all sorts of interesting stuff. I'm trying to be more active on Twitter. You can follow me at Jeff Wagner six twenty. I sent out a link to a story by George Will. Remember George Will? Conservative commentator. He's um you know, it used to be a, a regular part of their their Sunday morning shows. He he's become one of the anti-Trumpers that, that that's out there. And and by by way of background, uh new polls are out today. And I understand that there's some people who who don't want to believe polls, but I I think you you've got to look at the dialogue that's going on. And the polls pretty much show that the the Trump campaign is is in trouble. I mean, nationwide, and believe me, I understand that we don't elect a president nationwide. A new Wall Street Journal, um, NBC News poll shows that um, he's behind double digits. 51% of voters, if the election were held today, and it's not, say they'd vote for Biden, 40% back uh, President Trump. And and that's, that is not inconsistent with other numbers that are out there. And I, I think... You know, part of the dynamic that's working against President Trump is the fact that the the, the coronavirus pandemic happened at the worst possible time. The, the strongest point that he would have to run on, I think, you know, before coronavirus was the fact that. The economy was going great guns. We had record levels of unemployment. People were making money. Everything was fine. And and then the bottom has dropped out of that. So the the economy has kind of cratered. And I I don't know what any president would have done. I I think, candidly, a lot of the criticism of President Trump about handling the coronavirus, I, I don't think it would have been any different. Um, had it, I don't think that what Trump did would have necessarily been any different than what any other president would have done. Arguably, maybe other presidents would have been more oh, empathetic because, let's face it, Donald Trump is not a particularly empathetic sort of guy. But but at the end of the day, as far as, you know, and people will say, well, if you had done this, you know, a week earlier, two weeks earlier, this would have happened. I, I don't know that it would have changed anything materially. But because... Everybody is on their last nerve about the whole coronavirus pandemic. The the guy in charge gets blamed for it. So fair or not, you know, President Trump is carrying that along around the the economy while showing signs that it might come back. It's the reality. It's not going to come back for a while until we dig our way out of the the COVID-19 thing. And then you've got all the social justice stuff that's going on. So President Trump is running into severe headwinds. All right. And against that back, and if you don't think that's the case, I'm, I'm not. Do, am I? Am I saying that I think you know? Right now, here we are. It's July 16th. That there's no way that President Trump wins in November. No, I'm not making that prediction now. But I am saying I think it's an uphill battle. You've got all sorts of things that are going against him, and things that you would have expected to be strengths, they're they're not around and anymore. And so that's that is a problem. So into this. Now, Wade's George Will in a column in today's Washington Post. I want to read a portion of this to you, and then I want to open up the phone lines and discuss. And my question is going to be, do you agree or disagree? All right. um, The headline is, the nation is in a downward spiral. Worse is still to come. Because of his incontinent use of it, the rhetorical mustard that the president slathers on every subject has lost its tang. The entertainer has become a bore and foretelling his defeat no longer involves peering into the distant future. Early voting begins in South Dakota and Minnesota, 61 days from Sunday which is 107 days before the election. Never has a U.S. election come at such a moment of national mortification. In April of 1970, President Richard Nixon told a national TV audience that futility in Vietnam would make the United States appear to the world as a pitiful, helpless giant. Half a century later, America for the first time in its history, is pitied. Not even during the Civil War when the country was blood-soaked by a conflict involving enormous issues was it viewed with disdainful condensation condensation, as it is now and not without reason. Last last Sunday, Germany, population 80.2 million, had 159 new cases of COVID-19. Florida, population 21.5 million, had fifteen thousand three hundred under the most frivolous person ever to hold any great nation's highest office. This nation is in a downward spiral. The spiral has not yet reached its nadir, but at least it has reached a point where worse is helpful and worse can confidently be expected. The nation's floundering government is now administered by a gangster regime. And then it goes on and on and and on. And um, I, I guess it concludes with the the notion that we are in a national decline, that the reason for that national decline is, uh, again, the president, and um, that there's essentially that the, this election I- is over. All right, our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are we, in fact, a, a nation in a downward spiral? Is the worst Still to come, 855-616-1620. That is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. And I guess I I, I read stuff like this, and, and I understand that there's people who loathe the president. I get that. I understand that we are facing perhaps unprecedented sort of of trials in this country, and I understand that as well. But... Nation in a downward spiral, worse yet to come. I'm not willing to go that far. And, and I guess I, I think, I guess one of the things that I think is so great about this country is that historically we have faced different adversities and we have always managed to overcome. And you know, we we have pendulum swings from you know the political left to the political right, but at the end of the day. I think this is a great country, and at least I, for one, regardless of whether it's President Obama or President Trump or President Biden or President Clinton or President Bush, I, for one, have always been proud to be an American, and I refuse to acknowledge this idea that we're on a downward spiral. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620.
1: Let's talk to Dave in Green Bay. Dave, good afternoon.
2: Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Um, You know, the the news media that we have today is so slanted. I mean, if people can't see that. I'm an interstate truck driver. I've been an interstate truck driver for 40 years. So, I mean, I'm out and about all across the country here. And I really think uh, Trump's going to win. I, I do not believe that we're, the country falling apart. I think we do have a, a people out there that want to you know, virtually dig up the Founding Fathers and burn them in a pile. But uh, I, I I was in Beaverton, Ohio the other day filling up my truck on my way back to Green Bay. And I was talking to a couple black guys. You, they're not on board with Biden. They're not on board with what's going on. When I was in Detroit uh, talking to a couple people in the inner city, they said there was a whole bunch of white, as they put it, cracker heads, is young people coming there, uh, raising heck, and that they didn't—they weren't burning the place down. They didn't want that burned down. One guy told me he says, you, you know how long it took us to get a Starbucks on Woodward Avenue," and and he says these white kids were going up smashing the windows. He said we had to stop them. Well, you know, I think you know, it's in. Uh, the-
1: well, they thanks for I mean, look, I—I I think it's, I—I I, I think. Th- we, we are. Let, let's face it. You know, we, we are racially po- polarized. I I I understand that. Now, I guess the degree of that is is is, you know, I guess we're going to see. But but there's no, and there's no question. By the way, we have a long way to go when it comes to race relations. And and I think you know, people, reasonable people, have to kind of come together and figure out how we do that. I, I do think, for example, I guess in in this country, I think. There, there is this core group of people out there, and, and it includes a lot of the media elites, who, who never accepted that President Trump was elected legitimately. And they've, they've loathed him from the, the beginning. And so there's never been any credit given for the positive stuff that's happened. To your point, you know, about like the elections and things, I, I do, I do wonder if, if you want to, if you wonder when the, the news media, at least the mainstream media is going to decide that things are going to be getting better. It's going to be, I, I don't know after the election if President Trump loses or certainly, you know, next inauguration day, because then it's going to all be sunshine and our, our problems are all going to be solved. The, the truth of the matter is we are facing trying times. There's there's no doubt uh, about that. But we as Americans typically figure out ways to get through those trying times. Now, I wasn't around, you know, during World War II. But I, I mean, I was a kid during the Vietnam War and Watergate and all those things. And I can remember, I can remember that divisiveness and I can remember the split in the country. And I certainly remember how this country was after September 11th, 2001. So I guess my, my point is political leaders come and go, political movements come and go, the pendulum swings back and forth, but the, the American people endure, don't they? Let's talk to Mark in Florida. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
5: Hey, Jeff. Um, and I appreciate you taking my sure. call. call. Um, I used to be, work in a profession very similar to your last caller. I traveled a lot of the United States, spent all but my last seven or eight months um, as a native Wisconsinite, like 25 miles west of Milwaukee, except for my time in the military. Long story short, I totally agree with your last caller. We are being fed a bill of goods, okay, by, like you just said, some national media elites that for some reason, maybe because President Trump calls them out, maybe because they call them a full, full media, We're being sold a bill of goods that everything I can see in my friends is not occurring in reality. Most of the people I talk to know that the United States was not in a downward spiral. And I would have to wonder on what planet George Will lived for three and a half years before two and a half, three months ago when the Chinese virus attacked the world, and it's not their first virus. I would like to know what planet he was on, because every economic, most social indicators, most people I talked to in churches said, America is coming back. Mm -hmm. We are happy. We have all-time low African-American unemployment, all-time low. Lowest African, teenage African-American unemployment, since they started keeping records, Asian unemployment. If you want to segregate our society by looking at it that way, Latino unemployment all-time lows. People, and if you remember this, Jeff, employers all over America since President Trump has been president, they can't find enough employees. People were putting money back
1: yep. in the bank, and then, and then you have right, Mark. Right, exactly, Mark. Thanks, thanks for calling. Well, you you did. I mean, the, there's no question that the the economy was going great guns. You were looking at record unemployment, and, and then comes coronavirus, which I guess – here's one of the things I, I've always I've, – over the last couple of years, it has been – I, I've always had a nuanced view of the president, and if you're a regular listener, you know that. Because sometimes when I criticize things he does, I, I get all these texts from people saying, "Go work for MSNBC." And if I, I applaud things he does, well, then it's, "Oh, you're just nothing but a conservative show," etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And, and the truth is, it's it's just like President Obama, and just like President Bush before him, and just like President Clinton before him, and the list goes on and on. It, it, it's a nuanced view, and and one of the things that I think is a little bit disappointing to me is that we've, we've lost our ability to appreciate nuance. It's got to be all, you know, black and white. One side, and by that I mean one side one side of an issue or another side, and, and you can't find common ground. So you've got the never-Trumpers out there who cannot acknowledge that there's anything that the President's done in the last three and a half years that it might have been positive. The flip side is you have some folks on the Trump, who are fans of President Trump, who have completely drank the Kool-Aid, and they can't acknowledge that well, maybe he shouldn't have been tweeting, or maybe this wasn 't the appropriate response, or maybe we needed empathy in this situation and and there's no there's no divide I guess my there 's no common ground at all. My only point is I continue to believe that America is a great country. Do we have problems? Yes, can we get better? Yes, do we need to do things that are better a- absolutely, but I reject this idea that oh the worst is still to come it 's a downward spiral. All those different things. I don't know what's going to happen in the election. I think it's going to be interesting. Clearly, if the election were held tomorrow, I'm here to tell you, I think President Trump would lose and he would lose resoundingly. The election is not going to be held tomorrow, though. What's going to happen is you're going to have, just like in 2016, you're going to have Republican voters who might be showing up as being a little bit ambivalent now. They're they're gonna come home, I think. Will they come home in enough numbers to offset the enthusiasm of the people who want to vote him out? I, I I don't know. What is the country going to look like four months from now when we go to the election? I don't know. And and actually, as Will points out, it's actually sooner than that because You know, in what, about two months, you got some states that start the early voting. So it's a dynamic situation. If I had to bet today, I'd say he doesn't get reelected. But, but the election isn't today. Bottom line is whether President Trump wins or whether Joe Biden wins or whether Kanye West wins, it it doesn't change the notion that America, I don't don't think we want to be poor mouthing the country in general. We need to recognize that, yes, we have challenges and, yes, the spread of COVID-19 among young people is not a good thing and you need to get it under control. But but we will. We will. Just hang in there. This
3: is Jeff Wagner.